0: green smoothies dry granola bars breakfast shouldn't be this bland enjoy a real flavorful breakfast again with smithfield bacon sausage and anytime favorites ham smithfield hometown original bacon is made by bacon lovers for bacon lovers naturally hickory smoked smithfield bacon is full of rich and delicious flavor made with the highest quality cuts of hand-trimmed pork that are perfectly seasoned, Smithfield Hometown Original Sausage Links will have you drooling for breakfast. Stop hitting the snooze button. Make a breakfast worth waking for with Smithfield. For the love of meat. To learn how to make a meatier, tastier breakfast, check out smithfield.com.
1: Hey guys, we caught up with Eric Myrie of Basin & Ben out of Colorado and discussed conservation and Basin & Ben's unique approach to commingling the retail marketplace and conservation. Enjoy the episode.
0: We are on with Eric Myrie of Basin & Ben. Eric, good morning. Thank you for taking Morning. your time out of your day to sit down with us, man, and talk about Basin and Bend, um, and you guys uh, fight in conservation, and, and what uh, you're doing there is pretty big for us, so am going to give you the floor and you know, take it away. Give us some intro and background on, on Eric first, and then we'll get into Basin and Bend.
2: Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, Guy. Um, you know, I, I always consider myself kind of a, a natural-born explorer. Uh, I actually grew up in Wisconsin, a little, little town called Onalaska. Uh, that was literally, oh, five minutes bike ride one way out to the Mississippi River, and five minutes the other way. I had acres and acres of of uh, woods and, and cornfields to go play in. Uh, luckily, my my parents' house was kind of on the on the edge of town, and you know, I I had plenty of room to roam, uh, <laughs> as as many kids did, you know. Kind of coming from my generation, uh, we didn't we didn't have screen time and things like that. Mm-hmm. It was it was outdoor time. It's awesome. And uh, you know, I, I was I was a kid that would get up early before school and and go, you know, stock deer in the cornfields and you know go see how close I could get the animals or go out fishing in the morning. So pretty much from from day one, I mean i I have been an outdoors type of person and just love exploring what what the outdoors has to offer. So. That was was instilled in me fairly young, and I was also lucky enough to have a a dad and uh, some uncles that were uh, extremely into the outdoors. Uh, You know everything from the fishing and the hunting side of things. So I've I've always kind of done both of those those aspects. Um, Kind of jumping forward a little bit, you know, just trying to kind of paint a picture of of how I I became so fascinated with the outdoors and all that when I was. Uh, Eighteen in between high school and college, my two uncles took uh, myself and my next youngest brother uh into a wind river range uh, up in wyoming and that's where I really really got my first taste of the mountains and and definitely fell in love with the West and decided that that was where I was gonna spend a large portion of my life. So as soon as I finished college, I actually did uh move to Colorado and uh so I'm set up set up out here you know 9,000 feet I'm I'm lucky to live in the in the heart of elk country now uh yeah. elk here and in moose country and uh you know part of part of as we're getting the basin and bend here you know talking about the different different topics and stuff that we talk about part of it's just you know getting ready for the, the hunt and how the the mountains can can definitely humble you in terms of your your fitness levels you know for me it's even going up my stairs to get into my house is, is a workout living at nine thousand feet, so it's it's uh, kind of a lucky turn of events that I, I ended up where I did. But um, in terms of basin and bend, um, you know I just a little bit of background on the the company itself. It's essentially a a sporting goods retailer that focuses on protecting, preserving and uh, restoring water, wildlife and the wild places through commerce. So we do that uh, by basically making a donation of your purchase price to a different conservation organization every quarter. And we do when I when I originally founded this company, uh I set it up as a public benefit corporation. Uh, a lot of people have probably heard the term benefit corporation or B corp. Mm-hmm. In Colorado, the legal term for it is public benefit corporation. Essentially, that's a a for-profit corporation that acts a little bit like a nonprofit. In the fact that we 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 have a, an intention to produce a a public benefit in our case that is preserving these these wild places and and the uh, the wildlife that are in them. So that is, makes us a little bit different from a lot of your typical, uh, you know, just for-profit corporations.
0: So I'm going to step us back just because I, I, how old are you? Cause I think we're about the same age.
2: Uh, I'll be 43 in a month.
0: Okay. So yeah, we're, we're plus or minus a year. So, You said you were lucky enough or our generation or your generation was outdoors. We didn't have the screen time versus what we see now. How important to conservation is getting those kids or now's generation out into the woods, in the outdoors, um, and experiencing that hunting, that fishing, you know, their Mississippi River or their acre of woods, you know, right behind the house?
2: You know, I think it's extremely important. Obviously, you know, one thing I'm, I'm really concerned about is just the overall population growth. And obviously, people are growing up in more urban centers. Urban development is, you know, just taking off exponentially. So a lot of these people don't have that opportunity to see the places like I did, right? So if I, if I go back to my parents' house now, they, they still live in the same house all those fields and and woods that I used to play in have all been leveled and have all been developed. They're all housing developments now, you know, for miles and miles. And, you know, just that, that's progress, right. Or that's, you know, just kind of what happens when, when you've got increasing populations. Mm -hmm. Um, So kids aren't, aren't given that chance and that opportunity to see what the outdoors and what these places have to offer without them, you know, really trying to seek it out themselves. They have to have some type of mentor or, um, you know, uh, a parent figure, whatever it is, kind of bring them into that these days. It seems like for the most part, because they're just not as close to it. And what that means is we're losing, losing some of our advocates for these places. You know, we're, as as the generations are getting older and, you know, the baby boomers and things like that that have these these wild places and, and kind of grew up that way as well, as we're starting to lose some of them, we need to keep these numbers high for people that are advocating for the protection of these places. You know, when people come out to Colorado, a lot of times they're coming to enjoy our wild places, whether it's, um, you know, skiing, hunting, fishing, uh, just backpacking, climbing fourteeners, whatever you want to call it they're coming here because they want to see these wild places. And I think a lot of people, even though they may come experience that once or twice in their life, they don't, they don't think about it often enough because they're not close enough to it. If they are living in an urban area that they are keeping it on their mind to make sure that that stays protected. It's just not front of mind. Right. Right. So I think that's where, where, getting that message out of what needs to be done, what is that threat and what organizations are doing work to protect those areas is, you know, essentially part of our mission, right? That's, that's what we're trying to achieve.
0: So how do we protecting those, those areas, how do we get that message spread as, as sportsmen and women, how do we assist in spreading that message, right? It's great that we're doing what we can to protect, but if we're protecting something that's not getting used, in my opinion, that just looks like an uphill battle at the end of the day.
2: Well, I mean, I think it, it is getting used. If you look at a good example is our Colorado 14ers. Mm-hmm. If you go any, on any weekend during, you know, May, May through October, late October, We've got people trying to climb those things, and it's it's literally a uh, just a standing standing room only almost on these trails wow. of people constantly going up them. Right, so they <laughs> they are getting used, and you know if you look at well, I think I think the latest estimates I saw for the the population of the U.S. is like three hundred and thirty million, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, you know, we're not we're unless we're going to get to the point where we're <laughs> building you know, new islands out in the ocean, we're not, we're not gaining any land masses. Right. So yeah. people are we're, we're expanding the number of people, but not necessarily expanding the, the wild places that they can go play. Mm-hmm. So, um, we we've got to do something to, to make sure that the the land and the wild areas we do have continue to stay that way. Does that answer your question?
0: Yes, it does. I, it does. Um, and, and, I I think I was leaning more towards the the next generation, right? If we're if we're in those urban centers, and they're not, you know, it's not at the forefront of the mind, like you said. You know, are those places getting used? So, your generation, my generation, we look at uh, the baby boomers or the Gen Xers, and then you know, just behind us are those kids going to be used in those places, I guess that's where I was going more so than, you know, if they're getting used right now, if it's not at the forefront and we're seeing, you know, a decline in numbers and I'm not that sure I should have looked before the episode with, you know, with fishing, but I know hunting numbers are declining as far as, you know, hunters, men and women, um, those numbers have mm-hmm. dropped considerably, uh, here in California, I want to say we went from, like just over two million to one point six nine million uh, in two years, so that's a huge hit. So if you know if it's not at sure. the forefront, and those kids that are coming up with you know maybe that that portion that dropped off, if the if the parents aren't doing it, the kids aren't doing it, how do we keep those public places or those public lands public? I guess that's
2: where I was. Yeah, going I think it. okay, and I, and I think that's where. You know just the the nature of social media and things like that showing what what these places have to offer, even though you may not be you you may not live right next to a a wilderness area or something like that. you have access these days to see what is going on out in those areas and what's available, and I think people are are experiencing it almost more virtually mm-hmm. and and yeah. learning a little bit about it that way um, so I think that's that's probably how. I would assume, you know, many kids that don't have a firsthand experience with it or a uh, a mentor that shows them those places uh, are kind of getting that first glance at it.
0: Right. And hopefully that sparks that, that fire yeah, that's in them to, to jump out there. So sorry for that, man. I, I yeah. like tangents. So <laughs> <laughs>
2: and it, it would be, I, I would like to see the, the long-term, you know, number studies of hunters that are coming into this sport because my perception is that there are more people that are, are kind of, you know, you know there's different terms for late onset hunters or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. that didn't grow up with it, that are, you know, with the, with the big explosion of of things like meat eater and, you know, knowing where your food comes from and things like that, right. They're picking it up and they're, um, you know, experiencing experiencing for their first time in their twenties and thirties and, and so on. Mm-hmm. So the perception to me is that it is actually growing, but that's the numbers may not, not point to that actually happening. You know, it may just be because I'm closer to it and that's what, what I'm, you know, the people I'm interacting with every day are, are people that are, are doing that. So mm-hmm.
0: and Colorado gets a good a good portion of, you know, California and other states. Everybody wants to experience Colorado, like you said, with the fourteeners and, you know, the elk hunting the O T C elk hunting opportunities in Colorado are great. So I think you, right. you may right. see more of that. And and I'm just basing that on numbers here in California. Uh, when I see that yeah. kind of decline it's that's scary to me. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah that like you said, that's a large number, you know, and that's that not only is, is revenue that's being diverted away from, from conservation and supporting those state game and wildlife agencies, uh, but then just having those advocates for those public lands. Um, you know, there's, there's this idea of the, the backpack tax that has been going on for years. You know, should we, should we look at having excise taxes on more generic outdoor gear? Um and is and it's always been fought, right but something something is gonna need to be done eventually with the the growing number of people that want to enjoy the outdoors and use these spaces long term um, we have to have more revenue that's essentially gonna conserve them right so something is gonna have to have to happen there. I don't think anybody has the exact solution quite yet
0: yeah but that, that uh that equation is. Yeah, it's exponential. It's never ending. So that brings me kind of into Basin and Bend with your effort. So one of the things that stood out to me uh, when I was on was the 11%. That's a big deal. You know, in a nutshell, every $100 someone spends, you are contributing $11 off of your bottom line to conservation can we get into some of that and give us the, the background and why that business model Yeah, why we should see more of so, that business model, in my opinion?
2: Yeah. So jumping back just a little bit, kind of where I came from, um, <clears throat> I started out when I moved out to Colorado, I had started in the technology world and I spent about a decade in that and was kind of, you know, doing your, and I, I'm doing air quotes for the people, you know, I can't see, but typical office job. Right. And, um, wanted to, wanted to do something a little different. So I ended up going actually on a six month overland trip. Uh, I drove from here in Colorado all the way to Patagonia. And as you can imagine, a trip like that definitely opened my eyes to, um, you know, more, more aspects of the, of the world, you know, some of the beautiful places that are in other countries and gave me, uh, I guess, a deeper appreciation for what we do have here in the U S and, and the ability, um, to enjoy those places. You know, I I would be in Ar- Argentina, for example, and look at this beautiful beautiful mountain range, but it's entirely surrounded by a, a private estancia that I couldn't I couldn't access. Right, it mm-hmm. wasn't public land like I I would expect like DLM land or something here. So, like I said, that just gave me a, a a deeper appreciation for these these places we do have. So when I got back from that trip, that kind of started leading me on on this path to. Doing a little bit something different with my career. And I eventually ended up uh, in the fly fishing industry. And over over the course of a few years, uh, ultimately I ended up working for um, a, one of the larger outdoor companies uh, in the country, a century-old company that was, you know, billion dollars in revenue, but not giving it, I should say a billion dollars in revenue on outdoor-related gear. But not necessarily doing much to protect those places that they were selling this gear for. So that's that's what initially sparked the idea of, you know, can can I do more kind of with my skills, um, to to leverage the all the gear that we're buying, right? As, as hunters, anglers, even outdoors folk, it's we're gearheads, right? We we like oh, to yeah. have our gear to go out and enjoy these places, right? Right. Um. So so my my mindset was how can I utilize us enjoying our gear in, in a fashion that somehow helps protect the places that we're going to uh, use these, these pieces of gear. So that led me to looking up and, and kind of understanding the uh, wildlife and sport fish restoration program, which e- even as a, an avid outdoorsman, hunter angler, I never really understood what what that program was or, or how significant it was to um, our conservation and, and our access to a lot of these lands and things like that. So a lot of people probably know that as the Pittman-Robertson Act or the Dingle johnson Act um, that originally started in – Pittman-Robertson started in 37, uh was enacted by uh, Franklin Roosevelt, and essentially that started as a an 11% uh, excise tax on guns and ammunition. And – over the years, uh, in 1950, we enacted the Dingell-Johnson Act, which basically took that same concept and had an excise tax on uh, spore fish equipment, right? So hooks, rods, poles, even out to like uh, motor, motorboat fuel, things like that. And now, you know, in this day and age, that excise tax at the manufacturing level is generating about a billion dollars a year. Uh, that is managed by the, the um, Fish and Wildlife uh, at the federal level, and then distributed to the states for things like public access, uh, you know, wildlife restoration and conservation, um, hunter education, those type of things. So, learning about that that program kind of sparked the idea that can I, I use that same excise tax you know pay to play type of mentality and bring that to the retail level so that's typically you know i wanted the 11 percent was intended to be a, a shocking number right that's a that's a very large number especially at a retail level yes it is uh, to to basically donate to to conservation so that that was definitely intentional and it, the 11 percent you know people always ask why is it not 10? Why is it not five? It's 11% because it's based on that. the, the, uh, sport fish and wildlife restoration program. So.
0: That's a mirror image of what they did for that Pittman Robertson.
2: Right. Right. And so the way, the way, you know, when, when that money is distributed to the state, there's a grant program that the states apply for, uh, the funding and, you know, utilize that how they, they see fit. We, we essentially take those donations and every quarter we work with a different conservation organization and identify a specific project that that money is going to go to. You know, the one thing I, I didn't want to happen is, for example, if you're a, a member of Trout Limited, Rocky Mountain Foundation, whatever it is, uh, you, you pay your annual dues and, you know, you support that organization, but you never really get to see exactly where your dollars are going on the ground, right? Right. They've got big operating budgets that that money could go to lobbying in Congress, you know, which is is necessary sometimes, right? We need, we need that support, Mm -hmm. but, um, it could be an on the ground project. It could be education. You just never know. So I wanted to show the consumer as part of the entire transaction, exactly how much their, their purchase is going to contribute because in, in, instead of showing uh, or instead of doing it based on the profit of the, of the corporation, it is based on the revenue of your transaction. So that allows us to show you upfront exactly how many dollars are going to go into that project. And then I wanted it to just to go to a specific on the ground project that, you know, when we get to a decade or so here, we're going to have projects all over the country that we can go back to. Right. So, for example, one of the one of the projects we did was a Bonneville uh, cutthroat restoration in Utah. Uh, we did that with the Western Native Trout Initiative. So we helped remove some barriers uh, on some of these small feeder creeks that were prohibiting the cutthroat to get up into these smaller creeks where they traditionally would go to spawn. You know, culverts and things like that that they couldn't get past. So that's going to be a multi-year project to to finalize that, but in Another five years, we're going to have new cutthroat populations that are going to be spawning up are increasing the numbers. And now when you're on the Weaver River, you're going to be able to catch some of these Bonneville cutthroat that, you know, population-wise, they just weren't there in the past. So that's kind of the, the idea of the 11%. And,
0: and that type of transparency that you're putting out there so everyone can see You know what it's going into or exactly and on the website it shows exactly what that purchase uh, amounts to but that's the one of the concerns you hear when you when you donate to you know some of the conservation organizations or uh, look to a lot of guys say well I don't know that my money is actually going to you know fund what is important to me so that level of transparency that you guys have with that man is is great.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that, that, like I said, that was intentional. That's you're looking for that new pair of, let's say Crispy and Nevada boots at the 400, $410 investment on your part, right? Not, not a, a small chunk of change to get those pair of boots, but you see right there when you're purchasing that, that $45 and 10 cents of that is going to go to whatever our current conservation project is. So not only do you see exactly what the dollar amount is, but you see how exactly it's going to be used.
0: And how important is that, right? Because, you know, for a lot of us, you know, RMEF or Sportsmen's Alliance, Backcountry Hunters kind of and Anglers, um, you know, we'll buy the 25 to $40 membership and, hey, that's good enough, right? I'm done with it. But now we can go over, not spend an extra penny. You know, from any other retailer, and I'm not, you know, trying to put any other retailers or anyone down, but I can go over to Basin and Ben, spend the four hundred dollars I was going to spend elsewhere, and contribute eleven percent, or Basin and Ben will contribute eleven percent to further my conservation stance and help with that, yeah. uh, and protect what I love to do. I, that's just that's a big deal, man. And you that get to see a, it happen
1: too yeah. on their social media and their website. They're and posting everything, yeah.
2: and that's. You know, that is the, the social experiment behind this company, right? I, I'm fairly confident that I could, I could run a, a retail operation, given my background and skills. The question is, will people prefer a brand that is going to further their conservation uh, or co- conservation of the, the places that they play, they cherish, you know, they make those memories with their families over another retailer? So that, that's where, that's what, that's what we're testing. Right. Right. And we're, and we're hoping, and so far it's, it's shown that, yes, people are willing to make, make that choice that, like you said, they're not paying any more for that, that item. You know, you can get these items anywhere, Amazon, whatever, right. Big, big box sporting goods stores, but we're doing more with your purchase essentially.
0: Right. And, and it, it- it could go down to you know uh, a point system right a lot of a lot of places is you buy a point and you're getting something back you know for each purchase you know i build up points at you know x.com at you know what is it maybe 0.1% every purchase or i can go over here to basin and ben and uh no i'm not getting anything directly back into my wallet but i am helping finance and further the conservation of that waterway or, you know, that stream, um, that piece of public land that has been hurting for years. I do. That is that as a business model goes one, I'm going to say, you got some cojones, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it it is just, it is just amazing to me At, at 11%. I mean, who does that? Right. And that's, that's, off of, you know, your profit, right? You're, you're not seeing that. Typically you would, if you didn't take that stance or if you held, you know, held that percentage lower. I, I can't, I can't applaud that enough, man. I think that is great. (laughs) Yeah. And that's,
2: that's also part, you know, that, that we're, we're learning as we go. In fact, that, you know, is, is that sustainable, right? Can we grow, can we grow the, the business fast enough that we're able to sustain that number and are people going to support that, that concept enough that they do make that choice to shop with us? Yeah. So that, that's where time will tell on that, that side of it. But that is, is the goal, to maintain that
0: let's talk about the importance of active participation so part of this to me is active participation um you know as hunters anglers uh sportsmen sportswomen you know we know we have the Pittman robertson act in most cases people are aware of it uh and then you hear a lot of well i buy a tag i buy a license that's going into conservation uh, in my opinion we need to be more boots on the ground. Um, I say that a lot. I push it a lot. It's important to me. And I think that this is a step towards boots on the ground, supporting companies like basin and Ben and, and their partners,
2: brand partners to further that effort. Yeah. I mean that, and that's part of our, part of the model in in terms of our content is, you know, there's there's plenty of places you can learn about the gear and you know we do a little bit of that and we do a little bit of the how-to type stuff but the ultimate goal is to become kind of the hub for a lot of these conservation organizations mm-hmm. and the the different volunteer opportunities that you can do to make a difference you know maybe maybe you can't make that four hundred dollar purchase on boots and, and give back from a financial standpoint but you may be able to give your time to go and do, you know, whether it's trail maintenance or, you know, go do some electroshocking on a on a stream to see how many uh, native fish are in there, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, part part of it is is trying to be, I guess, the proponents of these different conservation organizations and almost help become part of their marketing arm in terms of what type of actions they're taking and, and what um, what difference they're making. You know, I, I always feel that a lot of these conservation organizations are, are extremely good at, at fundraising, you know, and, and getting the donors to, to give them the money, but they don't, they're, they aren't always good champions of what, what they're actually doing with that money. You know, they'll do their annual reports and things like that. But, um, I think that, getting the word out in a, in a better fashion of, of what's happening and what needs to be done throughout the year is, you know, there's a, a disconnect there. And that that's something that we can help with.
0: So how do you how do you select which project or organization
2: per quarter? So right now, it, it's essentially, uh, we, we have a A list of of kind of target conservation organizations that, you know, have kind of been vetted that have proven to get stuff done uh, that, you know, use money wisely. One one benefit I have is I have a lot of friends at different federal uh, and state organizations Mm -hmm. um, on the like state or on the fish and wildlife side so i I have a a little bit of an insight into where some of this money's coming and, and coming from and how it's being used, and I also have have people that are at some of these different conservation organizations too at at various levels so i can I can get kind of an insight into what they're doing and behind the scenes and and have a better understanding so i I you know educate myself that way in terms of what the what the pool should even be that we start with mm-hmm. and then from there when we identify an organization, then it's a matter of working with that organization to identify a specific project that we think, you know, a w- would help them in terms of getting the message out about that project. Um, a project that is something that we can, you know, financially make a, a reasonable contribution to. And, um, and is just a highlight maybe of what, what that organization stands for, right? So help, help people understand, you know, this is the type of work that that organization is doing.
0: So what kind of impact have you had thus far? You said you guys did something in Idaho and, and that's good too, right? A lot of times you'll get, you'll get uh, or, or an organization or a push and it is specific to the state you're in. You're in Colorado. You're not a Colorado native. And, you know, you're helping fund something in Idaho, three, four states away.
2: In, yeah, it was a, that one was actually in Utah okay. um, on the Bonneville project. But so far, we have been fairly Colorado focused. And I would say that's mostly just from a... Uh, scalability standpoint you know as we we kind of got through our first year, it was understanding the processes, understanding how we work with the conservation organizations. It was easier for us to get content for projects that were a little bit closer to us, but the idea is to have an impact nationwide you know there's there's organizations on the East Coast and the west coast that I think we would definitely love to partner with long term. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time of getting to those those different projects right and when we first started we actually were doing a a different project every month and we quickly found out that just from a resource standpoint by the time we got those relationships set up with that that organization you know got all the the media about the project and things like that done we were pretty much through a through a month right so that's when we switched to a quarterly so now we're we're having a a less of a uh, a reach in terms of the number of organizations we deal with every year, but we're able to have a bigger impact with that individual organization.
0: So, if you don't mind disclosing or if you even have the information, what on an average, what type of contribution um, is going into those quarterlies?
2: I mean, overall we we don't disclose the the individual quarterly ones, but Overall, we're, we're in the tens of thousands, um, dollar range for, for a year, you know, right now is our, is our basically a, a, a startup, right. Uh, only a year, year and a half into it. Um, so, you know, there's some big corporations that may be able to write larger checks. Um, but as a percentage of kind of what we're doing, right. Of our, our revenue, we're taking a lot more of it and putting it into,
0: the conservation aspects so that's uh i'm I'm doing some quick math here man i'm not a i'm not a mathematician so i always pull up my (laughs) so essentially if we look at you know like with bha right it's a 25 five dollar membership and if we just hold your contribution in a year and a half at ten thousand dollars that's 400 bha memberships that's a big deal that is a a big big deal, right? If you if you scale it like that at, at twenty five bucks a pop, that's a good size impact. I don't know, you know, what kind of what kind of budget it takes to, you know, to clear those waterways in Utah, but man, you ask me, that's uh you know, if half of that went to one and half went to the other, that's some hours on the ground. Mm. That's that's awesome.
2: Yeah, and I mean it's everything helps, right? That's that's the idea is that there is a lot of a lot of zeros behind a lot of those numbers coming from uh, things like you know the sport fish and wildlife restoration program, and you know we're not we're not at that level where you know matching that, but um, it, it still is additional dollars that are going into those projects to you know even if even if it expands the ability for a new project to be taken on that maybe didn't have any budget before that's a win, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's something else that that conservation organization can do. So it all adds up.
0: So, and I may be pushing a little bit here, but have you reached out to more organizations? Has anybody, have you been met with any type of resistance trying to get this pushed and, and out there from the, the right coast to the left coast?
2: Resistance from conservation organizations? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean every organization I've talked to is 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 more than than willing to to have somebody on their side to not only help spread their their message and what they're trying to protect, but also have financial support to get those things done. So, um, you know, we're we're doing it for the right reason. You know, there's a lot of organizations that kind of, as I mentioned earlier, that you know they may they may put a, a portion of their profits into conservation. And, you know, I feel like as I was originally looking at this, I felt like conservation was becoming a, uh, trending topic and, you know, kind of the, the new buzzword to use for marketing. And, and that's also part of why we do 11% is because that's, that's a large enough dollar value that we're putting our money where Where our our mouth mouth is, is, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're serious about it. This is why I started the company and, and why we're doing what we do is to, use the gear that we, we are going to buy anyways and help protect the places where we're going to use it. So
0: so who do you so no, have? No,
2: who, no one has pushed back.
0: That's that's awesome. Uh, who do you have right now as far as organizations, if you could run down that list?
2: Uh, yeah, so we've done projects with uh, Western Rivers Conservancy, uh, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, American Rivers, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Trout Unlimited, um, Mule Deer Foundation, and this quarter, um, we're with Western Native Trout Initiative again.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's in a year and a half. Yeah, Sheesh. Right. That's, I mean, that's big, man. Yeah. So what's the current project?
2: So right now, uh, as I mentioned, we're working with Western Native Trout Initiative. We are working on a project that is going to restore... Uh, genetically pure Rio Grande cutthroat trout, which are some of the most endangered cutthroat that we have uh, in the West. They are the southernmost reaching cutthroat trout species. So obviously being in, in a southern locale, their their big challenge is cold water and continuous cold water. And there is an actual a drainage called Sand Creek, which is just outside of uh, the Great Sand Dunes National Park down near uh, Alamosa, Colorado, which it, it doesn't seem like those two go together. You've got these giant sand dunes. I don't know if you've ever ever seen pictures of them, but it, it literally looks like something like you know Pismo Beach or something like that, just huge sand dunes that sit in front of these giant 13 and 14,000 foot mountains. Well, there's a, a drainage that comes down that valley that research has shown stays consistently cool, and so we're helping to put a, like I said, a genetically pure um, strain of these Rio Grands in there to basically create a a conservation stronghold of that species uh, that we're fairly confident are going to be able to weather any type of climate change and things like that. You know that we may keep experiencing. This last year in Colorado, we had one of the, the worst years of drought that we've had in in my recent memory, and. You know, we're we're going to need need more of these type of of strongholds in the future as water and and cooler temperatures become more of a challenge.
0: And any background you could provide on the Western Native Trout Initiative as an organization?
2: Yeah, so it's it's a joint organization that works with a lot of different federal um, agencies to basically prioritize the native trout and char species of, of Western states. Um, so I want to say there's, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I want to say there's 20, I want to say 24 species of different, uh, cutthroat and char. Uh, and and then, so they, their, their focus and research and programs all revolve around making sure that those species are, uh, conserved and protected, you know, which I think we need more of, um, you know, to, to catch, when you look at what some of these cutthroat trout look like, they're absolutely amazing creatures. And the hand of man essentially puts rainbow trout and brown trout and brook, brook trout in a lot of these waterways when everybody started migrating west. And it essentially pushed a lot of these native species out. And now their, their home concentrations are, are, have just been decimated in terms of where, where you can find them. Um, because of a lot of these other, you know, what people would say invasive species that were introduced. Uh, So essentially trying to trying to get those back into their native habitats and have them thrive so that, you know, the ecosystems are back to the way that they they originally were.
0: were. Yeah. And that's I mean, for me, I'm not I'm not a source of information or educated on it all. But when you look at, you know, rainbow trout and you hear them in this creek, you think that, you know, they were always there. And understanding that that is a hugely planted fish that is, you know, for all intents and purposes, they thrive wherever they put them. Uh, they do become invasive. Yep. And I'm looking at a picture of that Rio Grande cutthroat right now, and man, Sheesh. that's a beautiful fish. Yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah.
1: I've, never, it is. I've never heard of this, this yeah. trout.
0: Yeah, that is beautiful. Yep. I mean, just gold with the red gill and that jaw. Oh, Those my God. Spots goodness. on the tail. Yeah, that's beautiful. And then there's 21 native trout and char species. That's what it is. I just pulled that info up. Yes, 21. So they're they're working 12 western states with with their efforts. That's pretty big, man. I I I don't know. For me, conservation. The more I the more I delve into all of it, man. It's just it's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, there's (laughs) there's so many of them. It's kind of it's hard to pick. (laughs) well <laughs> what you want your you want yeah but
0: but picking them and just looking at the the effort that people are putting into this uh for me, this is you know left field yeah. you know in terms of my outdoor experience, you know, I fish, I fished, I love fishing, but I'm not looking at it on these levels, but just to see these efforts and and the information here and understanding all this man, and like i said this this is an absolutely beautiful fish yeah. jeez,
1: and the reason why they're yeah, and that's they're not thriving is because you're saying the colder waters they don't they're only staying in versus the rainbow trout or brown trout
2: yeah so you know between all the species cutthroat definitely require the coldest waters you know cold and clean water they're they're very sensitive to that whereas rainbow trout can can be a little bit more adaptive to uh, warmer waters and maybe not as clean water and then you keep going down the line brown trout and brook trout are even more able to adapt so it's just you know as we as we keep making an impact on on this big rock that we live on um you know there's there's fewer places that these these species these uh cutthroat species are going to be able to survive so
0: and brown trout's not a native species to the americas is it
2: it's not it's not it was introduced in michigan um I don't know the exact year but yeah it's uh most of the most of the brown trout are a uh, German brown trout mm-hmm.
0: that's what Thanks. I thought I knew I heard that because we go up Northern Which California is, I'm sorry go ahead
2: it's interesting you know like you said a lot of people don't realize that that a lot of these fish you know the sport fish that you catch they they're not native to the different areas where you're catching them they, they've been transplanted so
0: yeah, there's a couple lakes that we go up to uh in uh, the top of central California call it Northern California uh twin lakes and until I started fishing there and then uh, saw the, the big brown trout coming out and started you know, Googling and looking them up, I had no idea that they were not native. So yeah, right. I, I love, I mean, the whole topic of conservation, man, is, is so important. And I think when you really start to get into it and look at the, the positive impact we can have, um, since we love to blow up, you know, our, our urban areas with our population booms <laughs> and, you know, wanting to take that land for those developments. And, you know, a lot of that to me is, is money, but you start looking at this stuff, man, it just brings you back to, you know, just the beauty just the potential, the human. <laughs> yeah, well, the potential of the beauty that we can that we can see again to protect right. what's there is just yeah, it's great, man.
2: And like I said, there is a lot that's going on, right? From a conservation standpoint, there's there's tons of projects going on all over the country. You know, protecting different different aspects of it. It's just a matter of of educating the public of what's going on, what the organizations are, and how they can become involved. And so that's that, part of the mission of kind of what we're trying to do right gear gear is the means to the ends you know and selling gear is the means to the ends. but overall we're trying to educate people just what's happening out there and what the opportunities are to help
0: so with the education part of it to me there's a there's a gap there's a space there and i don't know that we actually do enough uh, at our level to educate people that Aren't seeking the information or aren't seeing the information. Uh, I just spoke with Russell Kuhlman of BHA, and one of the things that I brought up to him was that gap in time from, you know, that hunter safety course to actually realizing what conservation means. What, what type of steps do you think we should have in place or a push as the more experienced? hunters and anglers, how should we be shedding light on that in a better way so we can get the message of conservation out there and, and helping to better fund or, you know, I, I hate saying preach, but preach the message of conservation to these folks that may not know.
2: You know, I think that's where we use, use the platforms that we're building to, to highlight those things. You know, if you look at, for example, our Instagram page, it's not just hunting. It's not just fishing. There's pictures of just scenic, scenic vistas and things like that. You know, these, these are the places that I'm sharing that just show what these experiences are like and what, what you can, you can do out in these wild places and the, and the animals you can see and things like that. Uh, you know, so that's, that's part of the goal of Basin and Bend is to create this general community of people that do love the outdoors, love, love hunting and fishing. and Show them what what this not only means to us and them, but how they can share that with other folks as well to bring more folks into it. Because ultimately, you know, as we talked about at the very beginning, we just we're going to need more advocates as we move forward to make sure that you know, from a a lawmaker standpoint, money is going into this, into preserving these places and making sure that they're there for perpetuity
0: to me, that brought me to this, to this statement or question or whatever it ends up being. When we are, since social media is such an uh, influence and such a focus and, and you guys do a very, very, very good job of sharing the experience, like you said, right? It's not just, you know, that, that brook trout or cutthroat in the hand or in the net or on the end of the line. But you're showing the sunsets and the sunrise and and the guys standing in the river, you know whipping whipping the fly rod. How important is it to show and share the full experience uh, even at the end of the day when you walk away? I mean, not every time you dip a a dry a dry fly in the in the waters there in Colorado are you walking away successful at the end of the day?
2: I mean, I think that's definitely the trend we're seeing these days, right? You know, you look at some of the different media brands out there from the hunting and fishing side, that, that is becoming the the way people are sharing this because this isn't, this, this is our lifestyle, right? This hunting and fishing is just what I do. Being outdoors is what I do. It's what I enjoy. It's if I didn't have, you know, animals to, to see when I'm driving down the roads and things like that, life would just be boring to me. I mean, that that's what gets me excited. and, That is just part of, part of life for me. So it, it is a part of everything I do. And so every moment of my life has something to do with the outdoors. And so that's, we're sharing all of that. And I think getting other people to that level where they see that, oh, this is, this is why, why this is so, so important to protect is the ultimate goal of of sharing all that information. Especially, especially if they're not, if they're not close to it, if they are in a rural area, maybe they aren't, maybe they're only able to take that one week a year to come out to Colorado and maybe go visit Rocky Mountain National Park or whatever. At least they can still see and experience those, those places through social media and, and have that appreciation for them, even if they may not be able to physically be there as often as I can. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think, I think with, with sharing that part of the experience, you know, the sunrise over the mountain and the river. That may touch somebody that is not an outdoorsman. You know, oh, look at that. That's beautiful. A lot of times that's what it amounts to for us is when we go out there, it's less about whether we catch that fish or, you know, if you're, if you're hunting, laying down that animal or harvesting that animal. But I think the, the reach that we have with social media, if we share that experience, can be far greater than just our community. Yeah.
2: Agreed. You know, you, you look at the success of, of, you know, magazines like Nat Geo or something like that, you know, that have been around for a long time. It's all based on wild places and wild animals and beautiful scenery and things like that. We're experiencing those same things. We're just out there in the thick of it more often. First you hand. know. And, and so we're, yeah, first hand. So we're, we're able to share that uh, because we're experiencing that.
0: And again, sharing that, maybe people don't realize in those urban centers that they can be out there firsthand as well. Um, So we talked conservation organizations and and your selection. So with the the brands that you guys have, are these brand partners that are supporting the 11% or are they... How, how does that all work? Cause I have no idea in the retail space, how you even, you know, approach a brand or anything. So if you can give us some background on that. And...
2: Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's part of our goal is to work with not only work with brands that um, are supporting conservation themselves, you know, for example, probably our, our biggest one is the Rep Your Water and Rep Your Wild brand. Uh, they, they're an apparel company that donates, at least 3% of every purchase made from them to a different conservation organization based on what the, the individual piece is. Mm-hmm. So not only are they giving 3% back on their end, and I think last year they, I think last year they donated over uh, $50,000 to different conservation organizations. Uh, then we're, you know, on our end, we're also doing 11%. So in the, at the end of the day, that that hat you bought or that t-shirt you bought, a pretty large chunk of that is going back to protecting what it's representing, 14%. That's big. Yeah. So, you know, as we, as we choose some of these different partners, you know, people like Sitka, Crispy, um, Phelps Game Calls, uh, Mountain Ops, Off Grid Food Company, you know, just various companies that we know they support conservation on their end and and they they understand the importance of of these wild places that's that's who we prioritize in terms of who we work with and then you know obviously we we're, we're making sacrifices on our end to be able to to give to conservation so we are ultimately looking at partners that are willing to work with us to make sure we we can make all the numbers work and and get the job done at the end of the day so
0: so one of the things that I'm going to just put it out there, because one of the things that I noticed when when you and I had initially connected, uh, I was impressed by the 11 percent and I started exploring and I don't want anybody to get on and have the same response that I did and go, well, wait a minute, why is this, you know, less so if you? You guys have some discounted items or sale items the percentage is a little bit less. So I'd like to explain yeah. that if you go to the sale and clearance area. So I don't, you know, no one questions or, or thinks that there's something sure. different there.
2: Yeah. So one, one thing I, I definitely wanted to do is, was, was have the ability to say that every transaction you do with Basin and Ben is going to give back to conservation in some manner. So obviously when we're when somebody's buying something at full retail, we have more room to give back to conservation. If we have a discounted item, obviously, we're already discounting that that price. So we're already taking a hit in terms of the the amount of revenue coming to us. So then we drop that percentage that we give back to 2%. So which is still, you know, a a pretty big number when you compare that to a lot of other organizations and, and, you know, retailers and things like that the type of uh, activities they're doing. So so it's just, it's kind of a tiered system. If it's on sale, it goes, goes down to 2%, but that's still 2% that's going, going back to, to conservation. conservation. Yeah. Right.
0: It's still important. Right. I just wanted to make sure that we were clear on that. Cause I don't know if you remember, but that was one of the first things I asked. Well, I'm seeing this and uh, yeah. yeah, you're going to be my Sitka gear hub from, from here <laughs> on out. Cause I'm a Sitka, I'm a Sitka junkie man. And I'm actually looking at the, looking at that uh, page right now.
1: They got, they got a lot of stuff they have from jewelry to nutrition to
0: yeah gear yeah I mean and and for you know the sick of gearheads, you get on just the the sale items even at two percent, you're still making a, a contribution outside of what you were and you're saving yeah. money saving money on the gear because you guys have I mean there's a lot of stuff on here my my binos I'm tangenting, man I'm sorry oh. my binos yeah. uh I left them in my Jeep and uh, had some A-hole break in my Jeep about two weeks ago, uh, steal some brand new binoculars and my, my Bivvy harness. So I'm looking on here, oh, man, man, and I see that, uh, that bivy harness sitting in this clearance area. <laughs> I know where I'm buying it from. <laughs>
1: right.
0: You know, now I got to replace that, in that. And then Crispy's, that's a big one, right? Because that is, in my opinion, that is probably the biggest or the most popular hunting boot at the moment. I, I haven't used them yet, but I hear wonderful things about them. And to get on here and see the Krispies and, you know, if, if we can get the word out and say, hey, you can buy your Krispies for the same retail over at Basin and Bend and contribute 11% to conservation, or maybe you don't have the, you know, 400 and... Ten four hundred fifty dollars standard. Basin and Ben might have a few discounted pairs. Uh, I'm looking at some right now at three ninety nine, and almost a ten dollar contribution to uh, to conservation there. So I like it. This is awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah. They they make some excellent boots. I I've been running them pretty much since we opened opened the shop. And uh, you know that the, the marketing. about how comfortable they are has definitely proven true i put a lot of miles on a lot of steep mountains on those things and have never had an issue and you know it's i i've never even had a pair returned you know everybody that's that's picked them up from us has absolutely loved them so it's they're worth trying on if nothing else
0: (laughs) all right sorry for that i was scrolling i was scrolling the page there So projects, media, what to watch out for from Basin and Bend?
2: You know, I think this last year was definitely a learning year for us, you know, trying to basically test in the waters, kind of seeing what worked, what didn't. I think this year you're going to see a lot more content on the conservation side of things of, you know, now we've got a backlog of projects, right? So we, my intention was to, keep people informed of what's happening with a lot of these projects. So obviously if you buy something from us, I know which project you contributed to. And so I want to keep you informed on some of these longer projects. You know, some of these are maybe like three or four year projects. Um, You know, whether like, for example, we did, um, we helped Trout Unlimited restore the Colorado state fish, the greenback cutthroat trout to Rock Creek over by South Park, uh, Colorado, by Jefferson. And that's a, a project that involves not only getting the habitat ready, but creating barriers, physical barriers, so that other non-native species can't get up into that watershed and essentially, uh, you know, intermingle with the the new native species that are going to be put in there. Um, that, that all takes time, right? So, it not only takes time, but there's in that particular project, there's also some private landowners involved that the, the project is is happening on as well as public land. So, you know, just a lot of back and forth and, and uh, regulatory compliance, you know, of, of things that are changing within that area. So uh, it might be up to four years before that is the dust has settled and that is kind of in its final stages. So I want to keep people up to date with what's going on with those so they can still see. You know, three years later, hey, your 20 bucks that, that you donated to this, this is what's happening with it now. Or, you know, let's say that Weaver River project. Well, five years later, your money has has now been utilized, and now you can go and, and maybe catch one of these beautiful fish or just even go view them.
0: So you have, you have <laughs> so I think measurables there for people. I mean, you can get on your website and look and and – see what is what's being impacted so the one you're talking about if i'm looking at the correct one here um you're talking about eight miles of connected habitat that's that's a big stretch of any river stream correct that's that's pretty good man eight miles and they're helping more fish, yep. not yeah. just that cutthroat. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the one thing about conservation, right? And I think we kind of get hung up on is you look at, you know, RMEF, right? Elks in the name, trout unlimited, trout's in the name, quail unlimited, things of that nature. But to understand that the benefit is branching out to the landscape, to mm-hmm. more wildlife. You know, the if you if you do something for, for elk, it's affecting, you know, deer populations. And I, I, I just think right. we need to... It, the broad stroke is, is definitely there. It's not just as narrow as what the name says. And I think we need to look at it that way.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, long-term we'll keep becoming, becoming the hub for these conservation related topics, whether it's, you know, maintaining a calendar of places that you can go to volunteer to get involved, uh, Making big call outs to large conservation efforts that need people's, you know, uh, legislative support or volunteer time. You know, a good example is like the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, having that basically sunset and, and nothing really being done with it, that's something that we need to get people behind and, and get them aware of it. You know, that's people just don't understand the impact a lot of these big programs have uh, in their daily lives. You know, they're just, they're, they're not aware. And be, becoming that educational resource on how a lot of that works, which has been part of the fun, you know, getting into the side of it is understanding more how how our government works and how we manage our wild resources, you know, from the Department of Interior, the Department of Agriculture, things like that. How How the public process works, how we have comment periods. And so tr- I think you'll see more more information and sharing of how that process works as part of our content going forward, because it is, it's, it gets lost in, you know, in the chatter and you don't, you don't really understand what channels need to be taken to get these projects done. And so that that's been fun trying to, you know, just learn about how that all, all happens.
0: And it'd be nice to see that in, in, you know, in layman's terms upfront, very easily to decipher, easily deciphered. Uh, when you start looking at that stuff, just, you know, an average guy, most folks don't want to spend their time trying to understand, you know, the legalese, if you will, of all that. So I think that's a big deal to have it out and, you know, in the forefront and we could pull it up and, you know, you guys are the hub and helping, helping get that information or that type of information out there as well. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So kind of back to Basin and Bend. So you guys offer guided fly fishing trips as well, correct?
2: We do. Yeah. So we're based out of Evergreen, Colorado. Uh, obviously right in the, the heart of some of the, the finest trout fishing that Colorado has to offer. We have the South Platte pretty close to us. We're literally a hundred yards off of Bear Creek, which is a great little, little creek that runs all the way down into Denver. Uh, We've got Clear Creek on the other side. They're, they're, the cool thing about the front range here uh, in the Denver metro area is there's all these canyons that all have great little, little streams, you know, a fun little three- and 4 weight type fishery uh, with all kinds of different fish from brookies to brown rainbows and, and even the cutthroat. So,
1: Now, if you purchase one of those, do, does that go to conservation too as well?
2: As of right now, it does not. Um, mostly because we are, we contract out with another organization to fulfill those trips as we got started. Um, long-term, yes, the idea is that that will also be a part of contributing to it. You know, because if you're out there showing these people on the water, what, what type of experiences they can have, and then being able to contribute to protecting that resource, that, that is the ultimate goal, right?
0: Yeah, well that's, that's awesome, too. I mean, these are, you know, I'm not going to say they're all new to the sport, but to get that word out and have that message. So Basin and Bend is not just online retailer. I want to be clear of that, too, right? You guys have a shop set up and folks can walk Correct. in the store. Yep. And
2: yep we have a, a brick and mortar right outside of Evergreen, Colorado, uh, or I should say the, the downtown area of Evergreen, um, about a block away. So, yeah, cool little space. Uh, we've got... Evergreen is, is similar to Estes Park, which people are probably more familiar with. Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, we've got elk and deer walking around our parking lot, trying to get in our doors. It's, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Let them in. <laughs> They're always around. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Come on in. So yeah, we can we we uh, have easy access to test out our elk calls and things like that every day. Oh, nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> so. Um, give us a conservation quick man and the future of hunting and fishing from from your chair there the most important stance that we can take on conservation and then how basin and ben is going to impact that and your stance as an individual
2: i think i'm optimistic that the work we're doing is making a difference. I think we definitely have an uphill battle until we understand the impacts of population growth and how we manage that as well. And I think the biggest thing that people can do to make a difference is a educate themselves on what is going on and what can be done and just how they can get involved and be a part of the solution.
0: And the future of it, where, where do we see it? So you said you're optimistic. Talked about trying to get the message out there to share that experience. How do we help with the growth of our passion?
2: I think that is the general idea behind Basin and Bend, right? That we are changing the way that people hopefully think about retail and the ultimate goal is to take this, not only just hunting and fishing gear, but all outdoor gear. So that in the end, everything that we buy to utilize these outdoor spaces becomes a vehicle to create funds for, for the, conserving the places that we're going out to enjoy.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay, so uh, anything we missed, Eric, that you want to touch on in conservation or with
2: Basin and Bend? You know, I feel like we covered it um, pretty well. You know, I would encourage people to, to take a look at some of the organizations that we've worked with, maybe even some of the projects that we've, we've done. Uh, like I said, educating oneself on, on just even what's going on out there and what's possible uh, to help with is, is a big step in the right direction. Yes, sir. So.
0: And what's possible, I, and and unless you're doing the research, you have – i didn't have an idea and i think i'm pretty pretty well versed in efforts and until you start looking man i mean what's possible is i hate using it because i use it so much it's phenomenal though (laughs) uh there's a lot there's a lot of good work and people are doing a lot of good things to help with these waterways and with our public lands so where can folks get a hold of you uh if they so choose
2: yeah. So we're, we're fairly active on social media. They can find us on Instagram and Facebook, uh, at Basin and Bend, all written out, uh, Basin as in the basin of a mountain and bend of a river. Uh, and our website is same thing, just basinandbend.com
0: awesome man well we appreciate your time um thank you for you know everybody's schedule's busy and you're you know a retailer so i'm sure you're never-ending work there um (laughs) so we appreciate it
1: yeah i appreciate it i think you're doing a great job instagram wise too as well um i feel like the message you send and the dm is awesome um kind of explains what you guys are doing and and a beautiful photo of of what you guys are doing too as well think that's pretty cool
2: yeah i, I appreciate that and I, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to kind of share what we're doing uh you know that's that's one of the cool things about being in in this industry and i guess having this type of role is every one of our customers that that we work with is, is somebody that that we get along with right they're they're hunters they're anglers they're outdoors men and women that those are those are my people you know and they're they're the type of people that want to want to see these places continue to exist and, and continue to make memories out in them. So, um, I enjoy every day of it.
0: Yeah. It's a great community, man. Some really good folks. Great community. Again, Eric, thank you very much, man. We will let you get back to your day.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks guys. Cheers.
1: Please go support Basin and Ben on Instagram at Basin and Ben. Check out their website at www.basinandben.com. Your next gear purchase can help support conservation.
0: Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, this is Weston Jenkins with Disabled Outdoorsmen, the founder of an organization where we choose and let individuals come in the outdoors. We have many people across the nation that refuse to give up, and our brand is going to represent them, and now you can too. You can go to our website at www.disabledoutdoorsmen.com, or you can find us on Instagram at disabledoutdoorsmenusa. We want you to be a part of the cause with us, and let's make a difference one
2: day at a time.